Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we're talking to Mark Budd about InsureTech and innovation. In this episode of the CII podcast series, we're joined by Mark Budd, who is UK Head of Innovation at Zurich. As UK Head of Innovation, Mark dictates Zurich's innovation agenda. As leader and influencer in the InsureTech space, he is adept at building and maintaining meaningful and mutual beneficial partnerships. Along with his award-winning team, Mark insists on an inclusive approach, ensuring all employees follow the Zurich innovation story from initial kernel of an idea right through to activation. Here we'll find out more about InsureTech startups and the key trends around the insurance profession today. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Mark Budd. Hello, Mark, and uh, welcome to CII Radio. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem at all. Thank you very much for for coming in. Now, InsureTech's becoming um, a huge part of the insurance profession. Leading insurers are increasingly looking for ways to innovate and improve the way they work and the way they serve customers. If you could start by telling us a little bit more about what it is you do and perhaps give us a brief overview of where the InsureTech market is um, at the moment. So my role as uh, head of innovation in the UK is it it predominantly has two strands. The first is about taking ideas from any part of our business and testing those ideas and evolving those ideas for, for an innovation process that we've we've developed in house. We uh, often, when we when we get to solution mode through that process, when we start looking for a technology or a solution, which isn't always necessarily the first step, but once we start getting under the skin of the solution, yeah, often we will look to InsureTechs, and we have, we've had much experience of working with InsureTechs, um, so they can help us accelerate some of our learning in those early stages of a pilot. I'm um, equally responsible for some a cultural, innovative culture at Zurich. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm required to help try and change the dial across the organisation. Um, whilst not everybody can involve with the development of ideas, increasingly we, we're bringing our people to accelerators or conferences where startups are, start, are talking and those guys are already starting trying to absorb some of the mentality and the approaches that they use to try and encourage a broader innovative capability across the UK. Okay. Um, I think for me, the whole um, conversation around uh, InsureTech started a while back when there was this uh, genuine concern around the incumbents that InsureTech were coming to get us. Right. Um, And there are a small number of InsureTechs that have managed to address all the different steps in the value chain. But the vast majority of InsureTechs um, only address certain key steps in the value chain. And they're not actually disrupting the insurer, they're disrupting the the traditional technology suppliers. I see. So whilst there was some nervousness around InsureTech in the early days, I think broadly incumbents and insurers are now really starting to see InsureTechs as a real opportunity. And that's certainly how we see it at Zurich. Excellent. Um, so from that initial kind of apprehension or, um, or fear about this, this this new technology, it's definitely something that insurers are now looking to embrace and, Absolutely. and, and work with positively. And it's, it's not always just the technology, it's the way in which they approach problems and look at problems. Right. So it's kind of changing the, the mentality of, in, of insurers and the way they work? In, it is, in, in, in the right way. So I would, I would say when it works best, for me, it, there's a partnership between the insure tech and the insurer. So right. the insurer tends to bring customers, uh, a brand and some deep expertise in, in all things insurance. What the startups tend to bring is some agility uh, and often cutting edge technology. Right. Now, where we can have, where we can bring different elements of that expertise to the party, we're bringing different elements of expertise, but we've all got a common goal. Yes. Yeah. That partnership for me is really 
where I see the, I see insurers getting the most out of value of, of that type of partnership in the in the short and medium term. Absolutely. So, how does a large corporate like Zurich gear up to deal deal with an insure tech startup? Is there a special kind of mindset needed on both sides? I think certainly for I think I think I think it is, and a lot of the accelerated programs we work with yeah. help mentor the startups to understand the questions and the behaviour set and the mindset of a large insurer. Right. Uh, equally, the insurers need to take on board that the reason they want to talk to the insure techs is, is for their agility and for their ways of working. So the danger is for the insurer is that they suffocate the startup. Um, the danger the other way around is yeah. that the startup is almost too agile and too off-piste, if you like, right. that the insurer considers that to be too high a risk. So the real trick is to get this, this common ground where there's common benefit and often we need to pull them slightly closer to us and yeah. very often they need to bring us slightly closer to them. Okay, so it has to be that willingness to work together and be a bit flexible um, and appreciate, what, as you say, what each other is bringing to, to the common goal. Absolutely. When we first onboard a startup in our, in our, in our innovation funnel, the, vet, the first couple of stages in our funnel are really quite a lightweight conversation, if you like. Yeah. And what we found some time ago is that our procurement processes, our corporate procurement processes, were generally geared up to onboard a supplier at scale. And in the innovation process, scale is where we get to towards the end of that process. Okay. So when we're onboarding a new tech partner, the levels of scrutiny are arguably different at different stages of maturity. So we've worked really closely with our procurement teams uh, at Zurich to try and help us get us to be able to work with the startups quickly, appreciating that these guys don't have three or four years of account. Yeah. They're, they're relatively new organisations. Some of our security questionnaires are really quite in-depth. So we need to help those guys understand what it is we're asking for, but also we need to take a look at ourselves to make sure we're putting in place appropriate governance and controls, depending on the maturity of the idea and how far we're taking that startup. Absolutely. So you do really have to kind of treat different startups differently if there are kind of various stages and they're, they're set up in different ways. Absolutely. But it is imperative that we embrace the differences and not try and harmonise the differences. Right. Okay. Um, because... That's why we want to. That's why we want to work with that's them because they're different. Yeah. <laughs> so we just need to be really, really cognizant of that uh, and make sure we're not diluting the proposition down to, you know, down to where we're losing the value. So from your point of view, I appreciate there's kind of different avenues, as you say, and different uh, points in a startup's um, evolution that you can get involved. Is there an ideal? Would you prefer to get involved and build them up from the beginning, or is it better to come along at a later stage and kind of I don't know buy them out or to get involved in that kind of way later on? There's no rule book in terms of how that should work. Uh, in all honesty, at their very, very early stages, the startups probably aren't ready right, of course, to, yeah. to, to deal with a large corporate organisation. It doesn't mean we wouldn't perhaps give mentoring at that point, but I think they need to get to a certain point where they have established what customer journeys they're tackling, what their proposition really looks like, how they're going to price it before we can have, start having a sensible conversation. Right. But once they've got some of those basics in place, and that's often what the accelerator programs will give them, is, is a real um, accelerated start to, their, to that, 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 um, their ambitions, I guess. Once, once they're in that kind of place, that's when we really want to start talking to them because we're not, we're not developing them as a business. We're helping develop the ideas or the technology in a way that we want to use it. So, uh, and then once, once they've got to that stage, the closer we can work with them through the development of our use cases and our needs, actually the better. Um, certainly in our organisation, once we've got to that point, we very much see the, the startup as one of the team. Now they, they, 
not the same, not the yeah. team in that they've got the same constraints or, or working controls that we might have, but absolutely partners in terms of the team. Uh, and that, that culture is really important if you're trying to drive new ideas fast. Most definitely. So what are some of the key social trends you see as having the most influence when it comes to the use of emerging technology in, in insurance? Um, and, and the way you've asked the question, I think, is absolutely right. <laughs> it is around the social emerging social trends and technology to be seen as an enabler for those social trends. Yeah. So there are, there are numerous trends. Um, the first one I think that's probably worth talking to is population growth and the ageing population. If I pull out some stats, um, in tw mid-2017, the population of the UK was an estimated 66 million. Right. Uh, the UK population is pro projected to continue growing, reaching almost 73 million by 2041. So there is, the people are living longer, they are staying yeah. well for longer. People aged over 65 is currently about 18% of the population. By 2041, this is estimated to reach nearly one in three. Right, okay. So when you start looking at that social trend, then you start looking at what the needs of that trend might imply then you can start looking at what technology might be able to enable some sort of solutions so with aging an aging population i guess people people will have to work for longer mm -hmm. people savings will have to go on for longer there'll be increased pressure on public services on pensions on healthcare, um, and and people typically the over 65s they have a they have a greater quality of life they're living for longer um, they want to travel They've got improved. They've got a different level of connectivity to perhaps the generation before. So there's a whole series of new needs emerging out of that social trend. Yeah, and I think it's interesting for insurers to work out what that might mean to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for example, the pricing structure of life insurance could change if we have to incorporate um, how that you know how that longer life expectancy might play out over the course of a life insurance product. There is a really interesting piece here for me, which lies around the duty of care particularly around the financial and health for the middle generation. And I might, find, I might have some problem trying to describe this, <laughs> okay. but I guess the guy in the middle is increasingly worried about the health and well-being of their parents, potentially right. their parents' parents, <clears throat> equally their children. Yes. So if you look at the total needs of a family in terms of protection, there is a real, the guy in the middle is, is really starting to feel the pressure in terms of having to cater for all those different needs across different generations in yes, their own family. Yeah. Um, I think with the with the pressure on public services, the the burden is increasingly going to lie with the family. Right. At which point, insurers may need to start thinking about creating products for whole of family, multi generational products. Um, and I think when you, it's not about the products that we're trying to sell; it's about the needs of the people that we're trying to sell it to. Absolutely. And yeah. the, the the more we can knit together the problems that these guys are having, um, the better place will be to provide products and services. So it's very, very much being aware of how the population, the customers you serve up is changing and their needs are changing. So insurance obviously has to, has to keep right. up with that. But some of, the, some of those stats around ageing population are really quite astonishing when, you, really, when yeah. you look at them. Um, and you think just, we're talking about 20 years time, you might not remember, but, <laughs> but 20 years ago, it was, it was the millennium and it wasn't that, it doesn't, it wasn't that long ago. No. Uh, and we're talking about 20 years time, one in three people being aged over 65. So there's some serious changes yeah. to the dynamics of our, our society, which will drive out a different set of needs. And continuing that, that theme around social trends, um, is there kind of, uh, are there other points to make around the labour market, the gig economy, um, that kind of thing? For sure. Um, the gig economy is a massively growing uh, part of our economy. It is estimated that 2.8 million people worked in, work in the gig economy today. Yeah. Uh, and that's already double what it was just two years ago. Um, so, And half of those people are aged between 18 and 34. 
as the consumer market is starting to demand on-demand services, I think the employment market will start demanding on-demand employment services. So people are less likely to be wed to a particular employer for any particular point in time. No. Um, pensions and the provision for health and well-being past, past their uh, employment will need to be looked at in a completely different way. I think uh, the gig economy also tends to promote the use of sharing and then there's another impact with the sharing economy. So mm. if I'm in a gig economy, I'm going to use a, probably a bad example, but do I need my laptop every day if I'm in the gig economy? Right. But I probably only need it on those days when I'm doing a gig. There's an argument to say on those days when I'm not using it, would somebody else, will we share the asset okay. to keep the cost down in that pattern of gig economy? Now, I think those things probably will start to play out, at which point insurers need to start thinking about um, dialing up and down cover, pay as you go, liability around certain assets at certain times and not others. Yeah. It, it's a much more flexible proposition that insurers are going to have to think about. And in terms of insuring their, their assets up front, but, and then increasingly the provision of long-term wealth and sustainability beyond, well, through their employment and beyond their employment, um, as they won't have the benefits that traditionally their employer has provided. Of course, no. Um, and on another point, how about um, kind of the increased adoption of the internet of things and um, smart home, smart home technology? That's it, a big one. It, it, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge one. But so, so there are some funny stats around data. I think, I think it's something like over ninety percent of the world's data was created in the last two years. So if you think about that, that's another one of those astonishing stats. It's yes, almost. Yeah difficult to process but a large contributor of that is the connect the amount of connected data in the system uh, in 2015 there was an estimated 15 billion connected devices by 2025 it's due to exceed 75 billion devices That's amazing yeah um, so the social trend really is one of hyper connectivity and the sheer volume of data and the challenge for insurers is what am I going to, with this increasing amount of data, those, those possibilities seem endless, but actually it's increasingly difficult to really work out which is the value piece of data for which customer at which time through which channel. So it, it, it's, it's a huge, huge topic area. Yeah. And the, the trick really is still, it's always going to be back to what are the use cases? Who needs the data at what time? Um, if we look at some of the basics of IoT, insurers have been looking at telematics for probably 10 years. Yeah. Smart home is becoming a bit, um, a bit more popular now. Most insurers have, have had a look at smart home. If you draw that up into the commercial market, they start to talk about smart property and smart buildings. And then there's all the opportunities around wearables that play into the life market and the health market. Yes. So yeah. they're the, probably the most obvious candidates. But then the sheer number of connected devices is growing and growing and growing. You can have a connected toothbrush, you can have a connected iron, you can have yeah. a connect, connected pretty much anything these days. And that sounds great, but if we can't make sense of that massive data in order to be able to hyper-personalise. Yes, yeah. That's going to be, you know, that's a real, real challenge. Which data is important at what time? Absolutely. So there are certainly a lot of a lot of opportunities, but a lot of challenges as well for, yeah. for insurance. I mean, could you, in terms of startups that are, are actually out there, um, the types of startups that are out there at the moment, do you have any kind of examples of, of, of um, ones that are tackling these problems that you've been speaking about and... Um, specifically naming some startups, if you'd like. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, we work. We work with. We work with a, a range of startups. How, do you work with a certain amount on a certain time, or is it just kind it's, of? It, we work via the accelerators, so they right. tend to. They tend to come. They come through in waves, so they tend to. They tend to yeah. come in cohorts, and there are numerous startups looking at IoT. So it's detection of moisture, movement, um, gas in homes. There's 
vast numbers of people looking at AI from um, automation through chatbots into cognitive, into machine learning. Again, yeah. that's a really, really broad, vast horizon. Um, sharing economy, there are startups starting to look at how would I manage those assets in a, in a distributed environment. Um, to name a few, Forest Car, an organization we've talked to in, in terms of sharing. Yeah. Uh, Shepherd is a, an organization we, we're, we're talking to in regards to IoT. There is a startup called Pluto that we've we've done some work with on travel insurance that starts to use some AI and some artificial intelligence to to give a much better customer journey. There are lots and lots and lots of these guys all doing some really good stuff, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit like the data problem in that, that there are increasingly a large number of insure techs and it's yeah. becoming increasingly difficult to pick the right one. My advice to the insurers is don't go after the technology go after the need and then find then find the matching technology. And back to your earlier point, if you can get to work with those startups early enough, you get to influence their roadmap. Right. Um, which means you can you can, you know, it's work it works much better. Yeah. For the for both in the in that short term. And okay, uh, kind of to, to give an overview, what what would be your your kind of aims in terms of both Zurich UK's innovation team and and the market as well for for the kind of next 5 10 years, where do you see the overall kind of picture? So I think Insurance products, if we just look at insurance products, I think insurance products will need to become uh, more flexible, a bit like the gig economy stuff I was talking earlier. People yeah. want to be able to dial up and down their cover much more easily, yes, yeah. pay as you go. Those those types of features, I think, will become more prominent in insurance products. I also think that insurers will start to look at, it's an overused word, but the ecosystem in which people play in. So it's not just about providing an insurance policy at the back end of an incident yeah. increasingly insurers will want to help prevent introduce preventative services proactive services to mitigate that risk because the uh, the consumer doesn't want the claim and the insurer doesn't yeah. want the claim yes yeah. um so increasingly i think there'll be a move to create value-add services for customers that help mitigate risk and insurance will eventually the insurance policy as we know it today might end up being the backstop um, rather than at the forefront. That's really, really interesting. Thanks so much, Mark, for, for coming in and joining us today. Is there somewhere that our, our listeners or our members can, can go to find out a little bit more about this, if, if they'd like to? Um, Zurich.co.uk. Yeah. Um, it's somewhere you can find out a bit more about the Innovation Foundry, which is just, is my team. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. And if anybody yeah. wants to contact me or ask any questions, please feel free to do so. Thanks very much, Mark Budd from Zurich UK. Thank you. Um, and thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more and subscribe, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye.